Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's get to Mark Franklin, who is with us from Hong Kong. Mark is managing director, also senior portfolio manager, uh, multi-asset solutions at Manulife Investment Management. Mark, I want to begin kind of with the China reopening story. I mean, this is still very much a work in progress. The data that we had yesterday was very weak on a relative basis. Retail sales, industrial production, both missed estimates. We were speaking earlier, and when I say we, the folks here at Bloomberg talking with Greg Jensen of Bridgewater, He's talking about how the reopening of China is going to impact the global growth story. And he's basically saying, hey, this is going to be a negative for the U.S. and Europe, because until now, the shutdowns have meant that China has been essentially a disinflationary force. And that's going to reverse itself on this reopening at a time when we're talking about recessions, not only in Europe, but in the U.S. as well. Do you agree with that? Hi, Doc. I think there is definitely a chance that there'll be an inflationary pulse that comes out of China if they're successful in reopening the economy without too many hiccups. For the simple reason, as well as the demand side, that the supply side for key commodities, both energy and, and metallurgical commodities, the supply side has been significantly underinvested in for a number of years now, and it takes a long time for new supply to come on stream. So we're already facing physical short supplies of key commodities like copper. There's a big focus on energy supplies, both gas and crude oil. And, and that supply tightness could become exacerbated by uh, incremental improvements in demands that are driven by China's reopening. From an investing point of view, does that make the materials sector a buy right now? You have to be quite selective because not all commodities are showing that kind of physical tightness. I think copper looks interesting. Um, nickel is one which we have been active in investing in over recent weeks. And, and that also has a strong long-term driver in terms of the electrification of vehicle usage as well. And then coming back to energy, um, that, is, that, is, that is a sector which does definitely face long-term question marks over the physical supply side, given the disincentives that have been introduced for investment in new productive capacity, particularly in Western economies. So I want to pivot here and talk a little bit about uh, the risk, the geopolitical risk between the U.S. and China right now. We just did a story about um, uh, the watchdog for accounting practices here in the U.S. finally getting what has been requested from about 200 Chinese-based and Hong Kong-based firms so that their financials can be reviewed and verified. That had been a stress point. We know that. And we were talking earlier on our pre-show meeting about how many uh, blacklisted companies there are now, Chinese firms that have been blacklisted, uh, top producers of advanced computer chips, because they will no longer have access to American technology. So it seems like uh, the tensions between the U.S. and China are not, I mean, maybe it has the potential to even drive a wedge into this recovery story a bit. Do you think? Well, I think we have to accept there's going to be an ebb and flow of this kind of news flow. Uh, the first point to highlight is there are areas upon which 
the Americans and the Chinese can seek agreement. And actually, the, the regulation and the auditing of technology companies is an area where we're seeing a coming together of both powers. So that's an encouraging point. That being said, though, as a broader theme, it does appear to be the case that the two countries are facing or following an industrial policy and objectives that are commensurate with that, which are to some extent not, um, uh, let's say, symbiotic. So if you take the American side, they think of industrial policy as increasingly one of national security now, hence the focus on trying to limit access to high-end chip technology, which will ultimately find its way into military usage. Um, on the Chinese side, industrial policy is increasingly being focused on self-sufficiency. And self-sufficiency is inherently an inward-looking phenomenon. And so what we're going to see over time is, is, is a shift in this globalization model uh, supply chain integration model that we've enjoyed for the last 25 years and it's going to become increasingly inward looking and there'll be an air of mutual suspicion but the key thing will be to keep communication lines open. Yeah, Chinese tech stocks do tend to go on a rather interesting ride, um, and you're never quite sure what the regulatory framework is going to be from uh, one month to another. Do you buy Chinese tech? It's a very good question. Again, you don't want to necessarily take a broad brush approach here. There are business models which are more robust than others. There are technology companies which at this point in time have stronger relationships with central governments in China than others. And so what you're probably going to have to do is take a stock pickers approach. In terms of what you're seeing from your vantage point in Hong Kong on the reopening story, I mean, it's very concerning, the spike that we have seen in cases, stresses that have been reported in the healthcare system. Is this going to be a protracted, uh, bumpy way out? I mean, are you seeing this as maybe a six-month endeavor? It will be bumpy and there will be zigzags for the simple reason that healthcare capacity, acute healthcare treatment capacity in China, relative to the size of the population, is somewhat limited. And so at the local government level, what they're going to try and do is, is open up quickly and aggressively, but then they may have to manage the pace of that as they go along, uh, as they observe the levels of capacity utilisation that are reached at healthcare at the local level. Wouldn't put a specific time frame on it, but it seems to me that we are going into flu season and obviously the weather patterns exacerbate the, the spread of a coronavirus and other airborne viruses as well. So it may well be that we need to look to the late spring, early summer for the all clear, so to say. Well, you do work in multi-asset solutions. I know one of your top investment calls at the moment is Asian corporate credit. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 an area which had sold off very, very aggressively over the first nine months of this year, and is in part linked to effectively the China lockdowns. And so a, a lot of the Asian high or corporate credit space is occupied with real estate names and real estate has come under huge pressure. But what we're starting to see is a more activist policy of support from the PBOC and from the CBIRC in China to effectively provide a circuit breaker for the real estate sector. So things such as supporting the issuance of construction loans, stabilizing developer financing, uh, encouraging banks to buy the bonds of, of, of real estate developers that are no longer uh, in demand by retail investors. And we expect more policy measures to come to support the real estate sector. Now, that doesn't take anything away from the structural longer term risks and the imbalance between demand and supply, excess leverage and so on. But coming from the point where Asian high yield US dollar credit spreads were 1600 bips, they tightened already to about 1170, close to 1200. There's still a huge amount of carry there. And if you've effectively got the policymakers um, supporting the back door, then that gives you a sense that this could be an area that will attract capital flow in order to, to get that carry. 
so to speak. All right, 20 seconds, Mark. I'm sorry, that's all I'm going to give you to answer the, the question as to whether or not 2023 means global recession. For us, it's not so much about the binary question of will there or will not be a recession. The, the bigger question is how quickly we go into a sharp growth slowdown and for how long do we see a period of low, slow growth. And our view that we're probably looking at four to six quarters of, of low, slow growth at a global level with particular pinch points in regions such as Europe. Always a pleasure to have the chance to spend time with you, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Mark Franklin, Managing Director, Senior Portfolio Manager of Multi-Asset Solutions at Manual Life Investment Management, joining us here on DBA. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.